Welcome to A Thousand and One Good Nights, a podcast about the stories behind bedtime stories. Follow along with two new dads, one a psychologist and one a book editor, as they explore the nighttime ritual of their foreseeable future. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Hey, Ben. Good, man. Um, so have you... We were both T.S. Eliot scholars. I might be over... That might be exaggerating what, what we did in college, but... We have like five sets of quotes around that word. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, at bare minimum. Um, we were both, quote, uh, T.S. Eliot scholars in college, unquote, uh, have you had a chance to try old Possum's Book of Practical Cats out on your daughters? I have. Um, and actually, I, I, get to, I got to try it out on myself, too. I, I, had, I had read this a while ago, um, but I haven't read it in years. Um, and so in anticipation of this, I, I uh, you know, brushed up on it myself um, and then tried it out on the girls. And it, I, I'll just say it, it failed spectacularly all did you, times. Did you try it on yourself before? Uh, trying it out on them or yeah so I, re- I i knew i had the book and so i wasn't really worried about it but then when the, the recording date was approaching i realized i actually don't know where it is so i was like scrounging and i found it and so i decided to read it um or you know most of it through and it was it was fun it's totally fun um and then i was kind of excited to, to try it out on the girls um and they i think from the moment i pulled out this like plain black hardbound book that had no pictures on the cover or anything they were skeptical like from the beginning <laughs> is that um, now is that is that is this pretty much the, the the first time you've tried i mean besides the book with no pictures um just a text heavy book on them to, to see i mean maybe you've read aloud to them from something but were, were you really trying to yeah. engage, or get them to engage and kind of you know pull up and do you, so the only, when, when you sit, are they typically, when you're reading a book, are they like seated, like paint the scene for me? Are they seated with you? Look, you know, kind yeah, of, usually, um, a couple girls I, on I'm on side. the couch and they're on either side of me. And usually I'm holding the book um, and they're both kind of like looking on from either side. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll, one of them will hold it and I'll kind of read it. Um, but yeah, almost always it's, it's, I'm holding it and they, sometimes they turn to pictures, sometimes they don't. Um, so this, yeah, this was just a different, the, the closest we've got to this is we, we have this collection of like Disney bedtime stories that they, they really got into for a while. And yeah. we, we tri- for a while until Elena broke her collarbone and couldn't sleep in the top bunk anymore. <laughs> we tried having both of them in the same room for the first time and in, um, in, the, in a bunk bed together. Um, and so what we would do is they would kind of get into bed and then like the last story of the night would be me just reading from this, this book that does have a lot of pictures in it, but they were in bed. So they weren't seeing the pictures. And it was, that was interesting because they, they were a little like resistant to it at first, but I think probably because we'd read the story so much already and they were so familiar with the pictures, it was easily like imaginable in their head. And so they were kind of okay with that. But that's the first time we've ever really done, um, kind of bedtime stories without any sort of visuals or pictures. Um, what, what about you guys? Yeah. So this failed with Jack too, though um, pre- pretty spectacularly. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, and that's, and that's totally fair. I mean, even for me, like a lot of it, 
there's all these references to fashionable clubs in London or even just geographical, you know, geographic keywords like, I guess, Mungo Jir and Rumpelteaser were like incurably given to Rove. They were well known in Cornwall Gardens and Launceston Place and Kensington Square. Like those names kind of mean things to me, but definitely mean nothing to like a three-year-old in Irving, Texas. So... Um, I, I will say that one thing that I've, I've tried, um, is that when I sort of am, uh, putting Jack to bed and our routine, a lot of times I'll just sort of tell him stories recently. And he, mm. and he, he loves to say, uh, and who was there. And so I'll name sort of characters that he knows from, from movies and things like that. And then, but he can say, and who else in, in, indefinitely. And, uh, I've just been. Like since I've refreshed myself on Old Possum's book of Practical Cats, it's really just a gold mine of just like names. Like it's just you can say, oh yeah, right. and, and also so I've been really just like slipping in Buster for Jones and Rumble Teaser and Mungo Jerry and the Gumby Cat and and like he like so so and then sometimes he'll say, well oh who's who's Rumble Teaser and before when I would throw out names I'd have to come up with a character sketch but luckily. I've already got notes <laughs> from TSL about their character and disposition. And so I can say, Oh, McCavity, he's sort of like a, a like a burglar or a, a criminal or, you know, or, uh, Mistopheles, he does tricks and does things like that. And then I can, uh-huh. so that's, that's actually been really pleasant because when, because you know, we open up the book and, uh, he would, there's, there's scant illustrations in the copy that I had. And when I was reading, it was obvious to him that what I was reading had nothing to do with the illustration or if, if it did, yeah. it was three or, you know, three, four, six, seven stanzas till we got to the pertinent, you know, one thing, like one line that that illustration was illustrating. So right. he just, he, he, he kind of wanted to like make some observations like, why is that cat doing that? And then we can kind of move on. And so, yeah. So as a, you know, we'll, we'll kind of like our, uh, our friends of, uh, our animal friends of Maple Hill Farm. This might be something that we like. I keep trying out and and see when when he's like really embraces it. And honestly, this this reminds me, and I, I probably you too, a lot of that just in terms of like the relish with which yeah, uh, so he much. he rattles off names. Um, all, I will say one thing that I had forgotten, not also having read this in a long time, is that a lot of the cats are like it's not they're not all amiable characters. Like I kind of, and this is kind of a fun thing about maybe a lazy cat or just aren't cats silly, but you know, uh, a lot of them are criminals (laughs) like, like, and and just really just, or they're sort of like leeches on their friends or there's like, you know, uh, like, yeah. Or, or, you know, uh, growl tiger, like pretty violent, Definitely racist. <laughs> and maybe, maybe some of that was, you know, at that time, that wouldn't have been a shock. But I think even then, he, he's not meant to be an admirable character, you know. So, uh, and right. and some of them, some of them are kind of uh, like they're bad in kind of a fun way, like McCavity, this kind of what like. Moriarty type character, like the, the hidden paw. <laughs> um, right. But then others of them controlling the the feline underworld of London. Yeah, they're just yeah they're just going around and like breaking things and really ruining like you know uh, p- 
people go without food because these people, these cats stole their supper. And I don't know. I was like, oh man, these not a lot, you know, there, there's some, there's some good ones in there like that one cat, what is old, old Gumby that like, tra- trains cockroaches and like orders the <laughs> household. But a lot of them are, a lot of them are, I don't know. They're not, they're definitely in, in terms of either just being fun characters or, or role models for children. I would, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them at the top of the list. I, and it actually made me uh, more curious to see that. I, so I've never seen the, I haven't seen the movie cats. Um, and I, 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 I may, I may have acted in the <laughs> uh, play cats when I was a kid, but I was also in a theater, like uh, if the theater like, group itself was called cats, it was like, I don't know what the, it's an acronym for something Arlington theater. I don't know what all the, what the other what central Arlington theater, some sections. I don't know. So that's confusing as I have all these pictures of me dressed up in like with like mouse ears or cat ears or something. And it says cats. But once again, I don't know if that's the, like the theater troupe or if it's like the theater troupe cats the like, do, like putting on cats at cats. <laughs> but, uh, but have, have you, have you seen the, the, the film or the, the play or have you seen how this, this is interpreted? I no, I haven't seen the play that is it Andrew. Lloyd That's Red right. Weber, yeah. Right. Um, nope. haven't seen that. And I had seen the trailer for the new movie, which was <laughs> amusing. I've mainly just seen, <laughs> did, did not leave me wanting to see the movie at all. <laughs> And you being such a Taylor Swift fan, I've mostly just seen a lot of uh, memes, like still still frames. Yeah, right. Um, but right. isn't like now I'm kind of th- this does remind me what an improbable thing this 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 whole affair is, right? Like, isn't there a universe in which, like, isn't it kind of crazy that T.S. Eliot did this? Like, that isn't just like one whimsical throw off poem, but it's it's like, like I don't know how many are in there, like twelve, fourteen, it's like sixty pages, and there's a lot. I mean, it and and the fact that. You know, he before this he was famous for doing the wasteland, and then he does cat this book about cats just at the beginning of World War II. Like this is the the intellectual mind of the day writing these like goofy cat poems for his godchildren. And, but and then right away they're this huge hit. I mean, they're a bestseller. They become the play. They become a movie with Taylor Swift. That that band Mungo Jerry that does in the summertime. They they're named after like, one of the cats. I don't know. Like, doesn't reading it again isn't it just like how did this. Like, isn't it crazy that this kind of caught the like popular imagination? Or it was such a run. I mean, it, it. I think it outsold the wasteland pretty handily. Like, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's. But but you can see. Okay, so I think there's a couple levels though where it. I mean, I, I still think it's improbable. You know, right. I, <laughs> I think it's uh, that this happened. But on a couple levels, it makes sense. I was just reading this um, piece about T.S. Eliot because I guess a bunch of his letters yes. recently oh, have been man. It's kind of so opened up you're speaking of like so, being catty <laughs> so like would you, yeah. well, there was a i don't want to i don't know to derail what you're going to say or our conversation um but as a like quotes and scholar I, I will say his so he also uh had a note to be released simultaneous like with the, the release of the letters so he knew that they were gonna the letters were sort of locked away and they're going to be released and then he had sort of a, a he himself had notes that's like whenever they're released, here's a note that I want to have my say at the same time, and that's it's just oh I didn't it's know so petty. <laughs> it's, it's really really <laughs> petty. Anyway, go on. Yeah, so yeah, so so there's letters. Well, made. so the thing I, I I kind of knew, but I didn't really know the full extent to was 
how prolific this guy was. Like he was a writing machine. Like he he was writing constantly and he was writing everything. He was writing everything from, I mean, we think of him in terms of poetry, but like literary criticism. He was, I mean, I mean, just like volumes. He was writing essays. He was writing like children's stories. He was just he was producing enormous amounts of stuff. And so it, it, it's interesting that in that, it, in that sense, it, it does kind of make sense that he's going to have this, like he's going to have stuff yeah. written about everything, including like goofy kind of stuff to kids. And if the guy is clearly brilliant in a lot of ways, so it's not totally surprising. I think that that a, that it just came out that he had time to do something like this. Um, but then B that it was actually, quite good right like, yeah so i mean like, so if right yeah so it's like oh if, i mean he's one of the most famous poets of the 20th 20th century so if he is gonna take you know try his hand at like cat nursery rhymes he, like there's a good chance that <laughs> he could do well and he was he was already he was already famous and so maybe it wasn't adam probably because like if yeah. at, you reach a certain level of reputation and people are like wait t.s Eliot put out a boat on cat like the wasteland guy put out a a, a cat uh poetry collection i've got i've got to read this so I, well i i think it taps into i can't remember if we've talked about this but there's this great book called the uses of enchantment which is this this psychoanalyst in the, the mid 20th century wrote this book about why um traditional fairy tales like the like the Grimm's fairy tales are so important um even though our modern sensibilities are that they're they're like a little bit too frightening and gruesome for for kids right. these days and we should probably tone them down and he he says, no, like the point, even though they are scary, that's kind of the point. Like kids have a lot of like pretty primal fears. And what fairy tales do is they, they validate those fears and, and they sort of scaffold kids like along the journey of making sense of them and eventually overcoming them. But you can't okay. do that if you downplay fear. But so I think that the, what Old Possum does is related to another kind of like core impulse in kids which is sort of like recklessness and deviousness and mischievousness that i i think in a, in a lot of children's books gets hinted at but probably not to the extent that maybe it should so i wonder if and i don't it, it, it's hard to know like how how much kids specifically relate to it because the popularity of this has been in terms of the plays and the movies and all that kind of stuff but I wouldn't be surprised if part of the reason why it works is because it it does really tap into that that part of like childhood psyche, which is just really kind of mischievous and a little bit devious. Yeah, and is that a stretch is that too much? Maybe no, I don't know. It's kind of we talk about the, where the wild things are, where things are sort of out of control. And yeah, right. The, right. the, the, the cats are often described like Mungo Jerry and um, Rumple Teaser as like a, a force of nature. So they, they sweep through mm -hmm. houses like a, like a, like a storm and just upset everything. And, and then, and then without, without consequence. And so maybe that's an interesting thing for, for kids to think about. And that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of reflected in, in the verse itself. Like it's, it's not easy verse to read necessarily. Um, it's sort of wild um, and a little bit, I, I feel like I'm always kind of, off kilter a little bit yeah. like a, as i'm reading it um and and maybe that's like kind of maybe that's kind of the point it makes me think i should be reading more 
I mean, I should be reading more verse, but I, I, I kind of want my kids to be exposed to a little bit more of that. Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, reading Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats feels a little bit like being kind of drunk and trying to walk down a staircase <laughs> while reading aloud from some like philosophical treatise or something, but like, but like declaiming it. Like, so, and so that's that's the but which which and that, and that seems right maybe like so. Being, and it's kind of like being a toddler, yeah. right? They look like they're trying to be, they're, they're trying to think like adults and become like inquisitive and rational, but they're also like kind of drunk. They're always like stumbling around over stuff and they, you know, have like tantrums and um, so that, you know, it, it fits. It's also maybe that's why, because it's inverse and it has that role to it. It doesn't. So there's a lot of stuff that, like I said, that I miss, like when they're talking about, oh, Buster for Jones is, he's not at Fox's, but it blumps. Like, I don't know enough about the, mid like the, the 1930s london like, club scene <laughs> to, to know like <laughs> like who who's who's throwing shade at whom like in, in, in that in that situation but um but because it's in that even if it's even if it's hard to read there is definitely that that rhythm to, you know it, it's it's meter and it's the feet and so like just as like a roll of sounds just in the same way that the kids aren't always asking you know what, what's going on in song lyrics if it's kind of nonsensey you can kind of get right. away with a little bit more and 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 not knowing some some of the the, the bigger words like even even if you don't know like uh like what, there's some line where it's uh growl tiger had no eye or ear for aught but griddle bone and the lady seemed enraptured by his manly baritone like if, if you don't know what enraptured baritone is <laughs> it's that's kind of okay because it's just all these again they're you know it's it's just as unfamiliar as growl tiger and griddle bone. And it's all part of all these polysyllabic things are just washing back and forth. So, right. But there's, there's a lot of onomatopoeia in it too. That's true. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where you, and that's what I think, I think is really, it's cool about this book. And I, I sort of worry a little bit that um, contemporary kids books doesn't have enough of this where you're, you're sort of trying to stretch the, the reader's, abilities and imaginations like i think it's actually a, a kind of a useful exercise to have so many of these gaps and variables in the in the text in the narrative for kids and it really kind of like forces them to try and contextualize things and make sense of things even though there are holes and gaps because that's as as uh you know an older kid and an adult that's you're constantly being exposed to stuff that you don't totally understand but that you have to like learn how to digest anyway so I kind of think like that's a that's a really important, um, if not skill, just something to get kind of like acclimated to. So you're um, saying instead of like a sometimes a lot of children's book, it, you, you would sound like a reading level. Like so, if if you you know if you can read at this level, you'll know what all these words are. Even Dr. Seuss carefully stays within, you know, a certain number of words. You're saying that it's good to just maybe a lot of them it. are at that level, but then every now and then there's there's some unfamiliar stuff kind of mixed in there. Just so that they yeah. can, not enough to where they they can't they can't if they if they can't figure that out they can't make sense of it or, or find kind of an entry point to the book but enough that they can they kind of know what's going on but then also what's what's this one thing or what's this word or what's this concept or that, yeah or just that I, I want some balance there like I, I it's something I'm not going to read uh, Pat the Bunny and Dr. Seuss, right. <laughs> but it would also be good in the lineup to have things that are a little bit more um, discombobulating and stuff. You kind of have to, kids have to kind of. Oh, oh, oh so you mean even like not just within, within the book, but just, you know, you know, now we, uh, 
like we're going to read Pat the Bunny and then we're going to read like Machiavelli's The Prince. <laughs> like, <is> that... <laughs> Uh, not quite, but yeah, something like that, right? You you want sort of variety in terms of. I mean, sometimes it's just fun to to read through Doctor Seuss, or right. um, I don't know that I ever described reading through Pat the Bunny as fun. But, <laughs> right. um, <laughs> we'll hold another episode on that. I'll refer you to episode whatever five four something. Like that. Refer you to <laughs> refer to you to pre- previous rant. <laughs> right. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think in general, I, I think. Right? Wouldn't it make sense to have some books that yeah. are right at grade level and some that are kind of stretching? Yeah, um, I mean, so, so yeah, I mean, the, the good news is, is so you can control this, Nick, being, being, <laughs> being, a, being a parent of children. <laughs> and then uh, do you do that? Do you feel like you, you mix it up? And like, have you noticed, like, are, are you slipping, like, uh, uh, you know, one day it's, it's uh, – cars and trucks and things that go and the next day it's, you know, watership down or are you, are you doing things like that? And have you, or have you noticed, like, is there not, uh, like when you introduce something that's unfamiliar to, is there the, the kids say, well, I just want to know, uh, this is, this is too hard or too difficult or I don't like this. Like, no, we're going to get to the, yeah, I mean, we're going like to, we're going to read 60 more pages of, of <laughs> Elliot tap poetry. <laughs> um, no, I think I think it inevitably happens to to Gabriella the second one because Elena wants to read her books, which are probably a little more advanced. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because you've got that for Gabriella, yeah, so yeah. she gets forced onto that. But then also, I think Elena gets it because I'm always I've always got a new like set of books that I want to kind of introduce, and many of those are at least a little bit probably over her head. So part of it is just I end up kind of forcing some of those on her. Like we just got this new book of. Um, fairy tales that is definitely it's it's longer you know there, there'll be like a picture you know one whole side is a picture but then there's a pretty good amount of text on the other side so they definitely have to wait through a lot more text than they're used to before they get like to the next picture when so you, that's i feel like that's kind of stretching when you do when they ask for a, a book and you say no well let's try this this new book that i've got are they ever almost immediately sold like do they get into it fairly quickly or is it something where you, you try it out and they're not really into it, but then, then they're kind of familiar with it and, and you can bring it back in and, and they, they kind of know their way and they, they don't object to strenuously or, 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 or their yeah. minds, or, or their minds, you know, blown by page two. And they're like, oh, I'm so glad, you know, that, that you recommended this, you know, Pa. <laughs> like, <laughs> Some of them are just way over their head and we never go back to, but a lot of them are like, they're, <laughs> They're they're a little bit like mm, this is different. This is a little, a little harder, not what I'm used to. Um, but then what I'll do is I I won't keep forcing it, but we'll kind of leave it in the cabinet, right. and they'll often bring it back um, and kind of want to try it out right. more. And so that's kind of a sign to me that we hit the sweet spot right. there. Of, even if it's a little disconcerting at first, if if they're still intrigued enough to bring yeah. it back, yeah. You you know what, Dad? Like maybe maybe today is the day we do infinite jest. <laughs> <laughs> right um yeah so i, I I'm, I'm definitely gonna i'm gonna keep this one around one thought i had was i wonder you know you could definitely it would be interesting to do an experiment with this book where you you sort of wrap it in the packaging of our animal friends at maple hill farm where so oh, it yeah. has a lot more pictures they're more colorful they're more done and the text is more broken up over, you know, what's on one page here, you break up over 
five pages, you know, oh, for sure. In a bigger, I mean, I, I, it'd be interesting. I, w- I wonder if that would change the you know, appeal right away. Yeah, I would even so, say, I would even say kind of like the, what, what, uh, Glencora did with that pie beauty where you take yes. an individual poem and you make a whole book about, maybe this is, I mean, we're having this conversation This and somebody's listening. Well, Maybe somebody's listening. Maybe somebody's listening. <laughs> and like, oh my god, this has been done. There, there's like, there's like a 14 book yeah, set of <laughs> everyone. But I don't. Yeah, where you just have you just have one, and it's you know it's on Macavity, and it's just it is because you could easily you know each stands you know each half stanza could be a page with a with a bunch of illustrations, and you could kind of space out the the lines. Yeah, that, that'd be really interesting. Do you? Um, how, how did you? How did you encounter this as a kid? Or did you encounter it in, in college when we were studying Elliot or what? No, I, in college when I was going through all the... I think I had probably, maybe in junior high or high school or something, had seen like, one of them or a couple of them anthologized or something. But uh, I, so I, I had it in like a, a collected works of T.S. Eliot. And then I, when I ordered yeah. it, I got one with sort of the, the scant illustrations. But I would, I would imagine there's also probably a really lavishly illustrated collection out there that, that maybe would be, would be more attractive. You think we would have done our research on this? <laughs> no, that, that's good. It's it's not you know it's nice when when, we, when we've got homework to do. It's it's like right. being back in college, just looking looking for different ways to experience Elliot all all over again. Except this um, time, it's it's not you know how do we how do we figure out you know what was going on with his life and him getting divorced or you know how to but it's like how can we get more pictures for more for, pictures for, for more our children. <laughs> Um, who's your favorite? Do you have a favorite cat? Um, I don't know. I, I like you love all your cats equally. Uh, no, I know. I know. I don't. <laughs> um, I like, uh, I like, uh, the, the Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser, even if they, like, so I, I, I they're, they're terrible role models, but, um, they're, they're, the, the cadence of it is really good. I, I like, uh, um, the, uh, uh, old Deuteronomy a lot too. Yeah. And do those line up with your favorite one? When, like, is that your favorite character or your favorite poem? Oh yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, no, I think probably the best, the best poem is probably McCavity. Yes. Um, yeah, I, so. I, I, I think like it's got, it's got some of the most like memorable, like McCavity speaking of it's, you know, being its own McCavity could be, like a movie right now, I'd watch it bef- like right. twice before I watched Cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's my favorite. Uh, both both poem poem and uh, I think so. I, and it's partly because I'm I'm such a Sherlock Holmes junkie, and I, this feels a lot like a reference to more you know Professor yeah. Moriarty in the Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, I'll say I also one of my favorite poems is just the introduction where he talks about uh, like. The, the, ta- oh, the types maybe. of names that maybe, names, maybe yeah. that's also because that's the first one. So I think I must have run across that as an anthology. We had to read that in school in junior high or high school or something, but, but the different t- kind like, of- like, like you were saying, it taps into that, that enthusiasm for just naming and, yeah. and names and like personality and the same with um, our animal friends. And yeah. Farm. Um, but I think, that, I think that's one of the, the things maybe that gives this such mass appeal is that when you read this, you, you, you just know that T.S. Eliot, this guy who's this genius philosopher, literary critic, and one of the most important poets in the last couple hundred years, um, 
also it is this like kind of like just relishes in cats like really has a thing about cats and like right. naming them all these good like he's got this kind of like quirky funny mischievous side to him too and that I feel like that contrast maybe is nice for people like right. people like that idea of, of projecting people, that people like to him. see that that kind of range yeah um yeah. And not just so they can say, oh, yeah, I read Elliot, too. I, I'm more of a fan of his, his cat poems. <laughs> hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Thousand and One Good Nights. If you want to learn more about this book and other bedtime stories, check out our website at 1001goodnights.com. That's 1001goodnights.com. Be sure to sign up for our monthly email newsletter to get updates about upcoming seasons and other new content. Finally, please help us out by rating the show on iTunes. This helps spread the word about the show and get it in front of new listeners each week.